This is August 18th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and hope you guys are having a great week. Hope you guys are enjoying these Bruins games. Uh, so at the time of this recording, it's recording on a Monday morning. Um, Got a full disclosure here. Uh, you know, you'll be hearing this after game four has happened. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, yeah, the Bruins played great in game four. Yeah. I, 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 this has been recorded before game four. Uh, but even if this was recorded after, I still think this podcast would have the same format in basically being all about Tuka Rask. And I think it has to be your star goalie leaves in the middle of the first round. You got to talk about it. Um, it's a huge story. I think this is massive. Um, and what is, what it means for his future, what it means for the current Bruins, everything, uh, it needed a full episode. And I'm glad that, uh, it happened Saturday so we can kind of discuss it and it can be very relevant to this. Um, and I had on Steve Buckley of the athletic, good friend of mine, love Buck. Um, he's someone I think who offers a great perspective on this. Uh, he wrote a great column in the athletic, uh, when this first happened. Uh, he's also seen a lot of big Boston sports stories. So we talked about how this ranks up with those uh before we get into this sports keep coming back so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner betonline.ag major league baseball has finally started this summer and is in full swing and there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action betonline has all the odds futures and props for you to bet on and as sports starts to return betonline has sat down with eddie george from the nfl robert horry from who's a seven-time uh, nba champ and harold reynolds from major league baseball to get their opinions on what it will be like playing without fans and what they have called <laughs> the pandemic. I love that. The pandemic. I laugh about it every week. It gets me every time because it always, for some reason, surprises me. The pandemic. Uh, visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Um, what's fun about Buck is I think he's the first – New guest I've had on in like weeks. Usually it's the same slew of people, but to have someone new on, it was fun. It was a great conversation. Without further ado, here is that conversation with Steve Buckley. And we're here with Steve Buckley. Buck, how are you? I'm doing okay. And uh, I feel like I say this often, but my pat answer is that all things considered, I am doing fine. Well, that's great to hear. How's the summer been for you? Well, uh, the summer could be better. I I wish I were down the Cape. I wish I were down in Long Island, two places I go to a lot in the summer. And I wish I were preparing for the old-time baseball game our little summertime celebration of baseball that we've been doing since 1994. But because of the pandemic and social distancing guidelines and groups of 50 or more and so forth, uh, we just decided we had talked about maybe having it in September or October, a, uh, a scaled down version, but we've decided just to put it off till next year. Yeah, the weird part is this doesn't seem to be getting any better. Or it does. We don't know when this is going to get better. So it's a September, or October could be worse. It could be a little yeah. better, but it's so hard to tell and have to reschedule it just over and over. I feel like. Yeah, it's funny you say that because because it was back when this all started in March. You know, we said okay, well, this should be okay by August. But when it became apparent that it wouldn't be, 
we simply said, you know what, we'll have a, you know, we won't have a concession stand. We won't have a big pregame program. We won't have a huge crowd, but we'll have the game in October on a cool fall night, make it kind of a friends and neighbors kind of a setting this year, do the game symbolically, all based on the assumption that things will be better in October. I can't claim that's going to happen right now. So, so again, we'll just, we'll just do it next year. We'll be all right. We'll be fine. So we love to hear just regenerate for next year. Uh, so Buck, I have you on, uh, I love when it's the Bruins games get going and they get more important because that means Buck gets to cover these games, the big columnists cover the big stuff. Uh, you get to that point in your career where you're at the playoff games, you know, for, for each team, you're mainly Red Sox. Uh, and Patriots. That's well, like your- let me explain what happens uh, with with sports in this town. Because all four teams have been competitive for so long, the Red Sox often take up my attention into October because they frequently make the playoffs. And then because every Patriots game is do or die, war, like that um, – the Patriots take up a lot of my time right up until the beginning of February because they often go to the Super Bowl. Then I've got two weeks of spring training, sometimes three weeks. And that takes me up into the end of February often. And then March rolls around and that's when I generally pick up the Bruins and Celtics. It's not like I don't care about, I, when I was at the Herald, I used to go to a ton of Saturday afternoon Bruins games uh, during the regular season. Uh, with the athletic, not so much. Uh, and again, it, it's because I do more features and columns now, it's, it's a necessary, it, it does go Red Sox, Patriots, Super Bowl, spring training, Celtics, Bruins, playoffs. And that's kind of the way it's been. And for several years now, it's just like my entire life becomes Bruins in April and May. Now it's become Bruins in August. Who knew? It's nice to have you back. It's nice to have you around. Um, and so, obviously, the big news, I mean, I said this to you before the show, uh, this records Monday mornings. It comes out Tuesday mornings. Game four will have already happened by the time you listen to this. The Bruins could win 100 to nothing. And the story will still not be huge on game four. It's Tuka Rask opting out Saturday morning. Uh, that is a huge, huge, huge story. And I want to actually take time to sort of give it justice to talk about it past maybe its news cycle uh, because it is so huge. Uh, Buck, I want to hear what your immediate reaction to it was uh, when you first saw the tweet, first heard about it Saturday morning. Okay. So you got to go back to the beginning of the pandemic and sports got shut down. We didn't know when or if sports would begin again. When it became apparent that the different leagues were going to have some semblance of seasons uh, alternate sites, bubbles, all, all the different machinations that were put in play. I was under the impression that we all said if players want to opt out for personal reasons, family reasons, health concerns, and so forth, then we need to understand that. I thought that we had all agreed upon that. Now we find out there are conditions attached. And Rask has done has had several missteps that brought into play the the latent, the way we're looking at it now, that we didn't look at it before. In other words, oh, he opted out once it started as opposed to before, okay? That seems to be a bad thing. He didn't tell his coach. He told Donnie Sweeney. He didn't tell Cassidy. That's another bad thing. Now, we're, we're kind of reinventing the rule book here as we go along. 
if we agreed that players could opt out because this is a trying time in American history, world history, sports history, everybody's lives are upended. Everybody has a personal crisis with which to deal. I'm not you. You're not me. I'm not him. He's not you. We can't put ourselves in the bodies of these other people and understand how they feel. Now, you're going to be a senior at UMass. You will not have a normal senior experience at UMass that I had at that very school in the fall of 1977. I can't possibly fathom what you're going through with that because my senior year was, woo, I had a great time. You're going to miss that. I can't understand what you're going through. We, Bruins fans, everybody can't understand what Rast is going through. So I say, this is just me. I can't govern other people's thoughts. This is just me. If he has issues at home, if he's not right in the head, if he's in a good place, go home, fix it, deal with it. We'll move on. Others have a different view. This is my view. Yeah. So I think you're, you're hundred percent. I, I agree with you on the whole aspect of like, go home. You know, I mean, we family comes first before hockey. Like, again, this is just a game. This is just a game. We sort of forget about that a lot of times. Obviously the cup, Going for that is very important. We're not saying it's not. This is why we have jobs. And we've both said this before, but it is important to go home. Now, if you read between the lines, you can sort of see, you know, Dale Arnold said there was a family emergency. And then there, now Rask says everything's okay. Sweeney says the family's healthy. There's, there seems to be something, but again, it's not our business. And we're never going to know. And we never should know. It's not our business to know. It's just privacy. Who cares? What I will say, though, is from all of this, the one thing that did kind of rub me the wrong way was he didn't tell Cassidy. That doesn't, inv- by the way, that does not invalidate what he did. It doesn't say, well, now you can't opt out. You didn't tell Cassidy or the team. But I do think that has a very negative impact or somewhat of a negative impact on his relationship with Cassidy and his relationship with the team. I do think that impacts it. I mean, I would think in a normal situation, and granted, this is not a normal situation. This is not something that happens every day. This is, you know, this, these circumstances are literally once in a generation, once in a century type thing. I mean, pandemic, we don't have very often. You've lived a lot longer than I have. You've ha- this is both our first fa- pandemic. Oh, so congr- a lot longer. So congrats to us on living through our first pandemics. Uh, yes. It took me a little uh, less time, but there you go. Um, but I do think that you would think that a player would get on the team bus and say, guys, I have to go home to my family. Okay. I'm right. sorry, but I have to go let home. Me, what do you think about that? Counter that. Here's what I'm going to Here's what I'm going to counter it with. A couple of questions. Do you believe that there is a thing called angst? Yes, I have it. <laughs> okay. Do you believe there is a thing called depression? Yes, I do. Do you believe that that there that there is a thing called mental illness? Oh, 100%. Okay. So, I'm not saying that 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 Tuka Rask is suffering from mental illness. I'm not suggesting that I have a handle on what his angst and or depression is. All I'm saying is, is that we can't think as Tuka Rask thinks. And the logical, mature, professional, grown-up thing to do was to go to Donnie's, I'm sorry, to go to Cassidy's room, to sit down with him, to say, coach, this is how I feel. And then go talk with the players. Hey, guys. Hey, boys. This is how I feel. But that is taking the situation and putting it in the norm where everything is pristine, which it is not. So 
I don't know exactly when he made this decision and how he made it. And for all I know, he may have gotten on, off the phone with his family at that very moment that Sweeney's walking by his room and he opened the door and there's Sweeney. And now, the, obviously, I'm creating a real scenario to make my case here. But all I know is that if this were normal circumstances and he had a decision to make that affected the team, yes, he would walk into the dressing room. and t- Notice that I used the word dressing room. And not dressing room. Welcome back. Hockey, it's a dressing room. And baseball, it's a clubhouse. And basketball and football, it's a locker room. So, anyway, uh, that – if there were normal circumstances, I would chide in for this. You would have every right to do so. Everyone, Bruins fans would have a right to. But because I take the long view, because we are in a situation we have none of us. You, you know, you talk about I'm a lot older than you. There are people a lot older than me. I mean, Tommy McVie, who's a former NHL coach, is a dear friend of mine. He's got 25 years on me. And, you know, he was playing for the Seattle Totems in 1958 or whatever. <laughs> you know, um, so, so he's never seen this. I've never seen this. You've never seen this. And you're going to walk out your house this afternoon. You're going to see a little four-year-old kid. And he's never seen it. So age isn't a factor here. There is nobody alive. There, there may be a few people, 106 years old, who remember the influenza epidemic of you know 1918. There may well be a few of those people still around. But for the other 99.9% of us, this is all new and shiny, and it ain't good. And we can't apply old standards. And I know I come across as a softy on this. It's just the way I feel in the moment, in this situation that we're in right now. No, I agree with you for the most part. I just think that – so here's my think, think with, uh, thing with Rask not going to the coach. Uh, by the way, going to Sweeney first and Neely is the right move. They're the – they – they ha- they are the player personnel people. That is the, like that. Yeah, people say do the paperwork. Yes, like they are the people that you would go to. They are the ones who would give you the okay to go home. You can't just like tell the team or tell Cassidy and run off. You do have to tell Sweeney. So telling Sweeney was not the wrong move by any means. And by the way, you're right. This is all new. But I want to bring up something that Kevin Paul Dupont wrote uh, in his column. I believe it ran uh, Sunday. Uh, he said, "What we do know with absolute certainty, though." is that Rask now twice has proven he is unable to balance being both family man and franchise goalie. He was referencing the time he took a leave of absence in November of 2018. That's trouble. That's no way to run a hockey team. Never mind to survive four grueling rounds of postseason play and capture what would be the franchise's seventh Stanley Cup. Now that's harsh, but I will say, by not telling Cassidy, by not telling the team, by potentially rubbing a small portion of the team the wrong way, he's got one year left on his deal. What does this do for his future in Boston? I read Kevin's piece. Kevin obviously has forgotten more about hockey than I do. He's uh, he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, where where I disagree with him is that he's looking at it through the lens of hockey. I'm looking at, at it through the lens of health. And if you take literally what Kevin is writing, it's like, okay, you can have angst once, but you can't have it twice. Mm-hmm. And and I gotta say, look, it's 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 gonna be tough for Rast to come bouncing back into the locker room, in the dressing room, sorry, next year, and and pick up where he left off. And for some Bruins fans, it's gonna be tough to forget. Then again, we'll see how the playoffs, you know, play out. And if if the Bruins make a deep run, God knows if they win the cup, then then I don't think that Rast is gonna be posted up as the bad guy in all this. Now, if they lose three straight and they lose to Carolina in this series, then, you know, all bets are off. But 
Um, I like to think that he, listen, I don't think he's even going to come back. I think that the, the, uh, a maneuver will be made. He may even retire. I could see that happening. I could see him taking a year off and then coming back a year from now uh, and being the starting goalie out in Seattle. And th- those are things we should keep in mind. But should the door be slammed shut on the possibility of him coming back? I think we need to get over all that. I, it's funny. I, I wrote this uh, when it first happened, and I said – the question, what we can question right now is what's his future. And I think, you know, it's funny, the past few years, ask, you know, talking to Rask, obviously Rask, you know this better than anyone. Rask is very candid, very open, very nonchalant, laid back. And, and Reti- just to interrupt you, we in the media love that. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, that's the thing. Like, what's funny is what he said on uh, Wednesday or Thursday night after game two about the playoffs, not feeling like playoff hockey, people ragged on him for it. But he's open. He's honest. There are a lot of people thinking that. There are a lot of people saying, you know what? This doesn't feel or look like a playoff game, but we got to treat it like one. And obviously, I think he went a little too far saying like results didn't matter to him and stuff that was very little out there. But that's good. He's open. He's candid. He's honest. God bless him. We love that. We absolutely love that. And we, we need more of that. There's so many canned, it is what it is answers in that locker room that it's good to have some very honest, open people. It, it, it's, that, it's like that throughout sports too. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, but hockey seems to have a little more cliche to it. And, and the Patriots do as well. They, they kind of have to. Uh, but so with the future thing, retirement's always been tossed around. Rask, you know, towards the end of his, this contract form, this is his long-term deal, eight years, 50, uh, 56 million. Retirement looks like the way to go right now. I mean, I don't know what he's going through. I don't know what the deal is, what the issue is. I don't know what his home life is, except the fact that he has a partner and he has uh, a, a six, a four, and a, a newborn, uh, all girls. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him retire. I really wouldn't. I don't see him up at rooting and going to Seattle. Um, I think he's content with his career. Maybe he goes and plays uh, back in Finland. Uh, that's another option. I think that I don't like. I don't see him going to a different team. I really don't. For me, it's either he retires or he plays overseas. I think those are the two logical options. I don't know. I mean, he has a year left on the deal. With 2020-21 looking even more uncertain than these playoffs looked, I just see him I see him calling it quits. And that's nothing wrong with that. Like, you have a year left. You do what you want. I don't know what the – I don't think the Bruins were expecting this because they don't really have a next guy up. They have Halak uh, for another year. They just re-upped him on, but – they don't really have anyone in the farm. I mean, they have a few good young goalies in the farm system, none who are really ready for the NHL yet. So, I mean, yeah, this puts the team in a horrendous position. And I think, you know, it's funny. I saw this tweeted, like, I never thought I'd see a weirder ending in Boston than Tim Thomas. And look at this, Tukarask yeah. with kind of a weirder one. Um, I want to ask you this because, so we've talked about his future. We both think he's probably not coming back. Um, you've covered a lot of huge stories here in Boston. And I think this Rask story, the, the reason that a team went to this, to their championship last year, the main reason why was to Rask. And he left in the middle of the run to go to the cup the next year. Where does this rank in huge Boston stories? Cause I think this is absolutely massive. Uh, I don't put it up there. Well, okay. We, we need to see how the, playoffs what happens here with the Bruins I I think that's part of it 
as far as it being way, way, way up there, you know, you, you, you couched it by saying I have covered a lot of things and, and I have, and I, I covered. Well, so the, I want your perspective. Well, I mean, I remember the exodus of Bill Parcells after they lost the Super Bowl, the 96 Patriots. And, and then he tried to become the head coach of the Jets, except that he was still under contract with the Patriots. And I was there in Weeb Eubank Hall in Hempstead, New York, the Jets training facility, when they announced Bill Belichick as the new head coach of the New York Jets with Parcells going to be uh, a consultant. And they actually had a speakerphone that Parcells was not there. Belichick answered the coaching questions and there was a big speakerphone and everyone was asking part. It was all a sham to get the Patriots to let him out of his contract. It was the dopiest, weirdest thing. I still haven't had anything that matched that with um, Mad Dog Russo asking Parcells a question. Parcells didn't want to answer it because he knew it was Mad Dog. And Parcells' old trick was, who are you? Who? Like, like pretend he doesn't know who you are. Who are you? Who is? I can't hear you. And Russo gets up and walks to the front of the room and leans into the speaker and goes, I'm Chris Russo from WFAN. And, and I'm sitting there saying, this is awesome. We're never going to see this again. And so I've, I've covered stories like that. I've covered, I covered Pedro. I covered Kurt Schilling, uh, Bledsoe, Brady, Kraft, Belichick, Parcells. Uh, the Patriots have won six Super Bowls. One, two, three, four, five, six. The Red Sox have won four World Series. The Celtics have won an NBA championship. The Bruins have won a Stanley Cup. I'm one of, I think, five people who has seen the championship game uh, for all of those 12 championships. Uh, That's incredible, uh, by the way. Myself, there's Dan Shaughnessy. Um, uh, I think Jim Davis, photographer from the Boston Globe, Mike Lynch from Channel 5, and a few others, that we've been there for all of them. And uh, so where does this rank up there? There's a lot of competition for those laurels. I'll leave it at that. So let's focus more Bruins stories. I feel that this is maybe the second biggest Bruins story of the past 10 years. Just look at the past 10 years. You know, you have the Sagan trade. Tim Thomas's departing was a little weird. I mean, it was, it came before the season because it was before the lockout. So people didn't know if there was even going to be a season. So I, I don't think people really took it seriously at the time until the season came and there was no Tim Thomas. Um, but this again is your star goalie. Your franchise goalie opting out in the middle of the postseason run. I think this is up there is, if not maybe well, the well, biggest well, Bruins story of the past 10 years. Well, weird, nutty stories, yes. Uh, Non-game related stories. Uh, well, I'm trying to think. Okay, here's one that comes to mind, and it, 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 it goes beyond your 10-year window. But if you go back to the early stages of the 07 season when um, Bergeron in the Flyers game is it Randy Jones? Randy uh, Jones. Hit him, hit him from behind. And just to give you some context here, I was in the press box at Coors Field in Denver because the Red Sox were, gonna, were in the World Series. And that was on the pregame going into game, I want to say game three, uh, out in Denver. So we saw it on replay like an hour after it happened. And then the World Series ends. The Red Sox win the World Series. We're back in Boston. A week or so later, and the Reds and the Bruins had a press conference, 
uh, for Bergeron to talk with the media. And he had been concussed and he had all kinds of other injuries. And I remember they announced that he would answer, I think, five questions in English and five questions in French uh, because there were there were uh, French-Canadian media on hand because he's, he being from Quebec. And I will never forget, and I've written this often, uh, that Bergeron walking in there and being helped into a chair. And what I wrote then, I've used this line a lot, he looked like an old man on a red line train being helped, trying to, trying to get into the chair, into a seat while the train is moving, being very careful and shaky and all that. And I remember thinking that day, he's never going to play again. Um, and hoping he's such a terrific guy. And I hoped that I would be wrong. And of course I was, he missed the remainder of the season and, and came back and has been forging a hall of fame career ever since. But when I think of big Bruin stories, uh, that are cataclysmic that really caught me emotionally and in every other way. I, I think of the Bergeron press conference after the hit against the Flyers. That is a good one. I, I think people often forget that that his career very easily could never have happened after that moment. I remember how big that was. I mean, I was just in youth hockey yeah. back then. And I remember like every kid talking about that. We went through like drills at practice. Hitting from behind was like a thing after that. You know, like, oh, you can't, you know, don't, if you see numbers, don't. That's when they started putting, like, stop on the back of kids' uniforms. Uh, so if you were, if you saw that, you didn't hit them. It was a big thing. I mean, like, you know, doctors went over it with us because they knew we played hockey. Oh, did you see the Bergeron hit? It's funny. You mentioned being out at Coors Field and seeing it an hour later. What's so funny is nowadays you would see that 30 seconds after it happened, no matter where you are in the world, which I find incredible that that's, like, a thing. But it is. Um, well, just to add to your story, not only not – only- uh, was it was it 2007? So it was 13 years ago. To make matters worse, uh, it was Game Three because it was their first home game of the World Series. Internet was almost non-existent in the press box. They they uh, had done some wiring wrong or something. So uh, we were all trying to get information on it, and we ended up just getting it off the regular TV when Sports Center came on or whatever. But uh, no, Internet was uh, non-existent that afternoon at Coys Field, as I recall. Oh, that is just so like agitating. Like talk about angst, just like, yeah. Oh, I want to see it. And that's just because my generation, we get anything we want, whenever we want, uh, when it comes to internet stuff. So it's to be good, doesn't it? It does. It's terrible. Um, so I want to hear your perspective on this. How do the Bruins move forward from this? How do they do with Yaroslav Halak in net for this postseason? I think they already have. I think they addressed that with the stellar performance they, uh, put up against. Carolina on Saturday. I, I, I want to keep calling him the Whalers, by the way. That's it's in my head. But um, there, there was that moment where Halak, there was that when he tried to clear the puck up country. And, oh my God! But I mean, so I, I, I played a little pickup hockey back in the day, and I was a goalie, and that was so me. That was that. That's the reason I write about these games is because that's precisely what I would have done in that situation, and. Um, and and I always remember. Uh, so I'll just say this for the purpose. Of, I used to I used to work out with the Maine Mariners uh, mm-hmm. back in the eighties when the aforementioned Tom McVie was coach, and uh, one of the goalies was Craig Billington, who later played with the Bruins. And they would suit me up for practice, and I would just you know just for fun. Tommy liked me, and one of the things I mean I couldn't do anything compared to what those guys could do, but at least if you took a slap shot from the blue line. I could put my glove out and pretend I was going to make the save before it went under my glove. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I couldn't do was was precisely the kind of clearing pass uh, that that he failed to do in that game. Goalies have these massive forearms, and with a flick of the wrist, they could send the puck to the moon and back. And yeah. the people always ask me what it was like practicing with the with the main Mariners. And I always go back to clearing passes by goalies. They could take, well, and, and it would just like, boom, up. and I would do it, and the thing go, like, four feet. And there's that wrist action that a really good goalie has. And, and you know, high school goalies have it, too, and college goalies. It's just a, that, that that was a skill that, that I seemed to lack. I didn't have the forearm or something. Um, so when whenever it doesn't work, and it happens once a year, and you see it, and it looks absolutely horrible. I always think of how how talented goaltenders are that they can do that so well. And he just screwed up. It's uh, he, he he didn't see that there was company at the door. Uh, it, I don't think it had anything to do with the moment. I don't think he. I mean, he was on. He was in pressure like right from the get go, like ten seconds of the game. Fifteen uh, shots in the first period. What's that? 15 shots in the first period. Yeah, plus Marshall goes off in that stupid penalty, which really wasn't, uh, like just seconds into the game. So right away, they're, they're, they're a man short. So I, I think he weathered the storm. I don't think he came back out nervous and like, oh, I'll do this stupid clearing pass. That's dumb. Um, I, I don't connect that, except when it did happen, they were, they were up to nothing. And everybody's immediate thought was, up. Oh, here it goes. And they're, they're going to give up a power play goal. Then they're going to give up a tying goal. Then they're going to lose. Then they lose two more. Then they're going to be eliminated. And as I wrote in the athletic, the the it, it looked in the moment like the bookend to Rast's decision to opt out was going to be that play right there where they gave where they gave up that goal. That those two were going to be twinned up forever. It's, now it's fun. I know. Now no one cares. It's funny. Steve Conroy tweeted. Uh, Rask had two options. And he chose the third. Whatever. I read that. That was a good line. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it just, at the time I, I saw that and I said, Oh my God, here it comes. Here it comes. They're going to blow this game. Halak is going to be, you know, have real trouble the rest. But, you know, Cassie said after the game, Marshawn stood up on the bench, said, guys, this isn't going to affect us. We're fine. And lo and behold, guess who scores the empty netter to win it or to give some insurance, grab Marshawn. So my prediction is they rally around Halak. I know it's a very uh, optimistic prediction, a very one-game type prediction, but they always seem to play well in front of Halak, and I do think in this series uh, they do come out on top with Halak in net. I'm very interested to see how far they go because if they – if you think about it, if they win a Stanley Cup with Halak – Are you wearing a Carolina Hurricanes T-shirt? No, it's a regular red, uh, red <laughs> t- athletic T-shirt. I know, but – if they win a Stanley Cup with Yaroslav Halak, that would be two cups Rask would have that he wasn't the starter for. So that that elusive Stanley Cup as a starter would always like precede him, but he's yeah. but he would have two. He would technically have two, um, and I just think it would add such an element to that and such a weirdness. Like what a weird 2020 thing. His name on it, right? He would get his name on. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, can't um, play because I've heard some. If they win the cup, his name can't. No, so I like I like the uh, the people after he said the it doesn't feel like playoff hockey things that Cassie should barge into his room, kick him out of out of uh, out of Toronto, send him home, and never let him start again. Which is ironically what's not might happen, but it had nothing to do with the comment. 
uh, after game two. Buck, I want to say thank you for coming on and doing this. My pleasure. Uh, your first time, hopefully not your last. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote before you go? I would like to promote the athletic. <laughs> no, go. Go, go read the athletic, read my stuff, read Fluto. Uh, Shinzawa writes, uh, he writes hockey better than anybody in the world. And uh, it, it's like, he wrote like 33 stories last month I saw. And uh, so I, I think with, with him on the beat, me writing the columns and our tremendous national staff all around the country, I think we've got, uh, we've got the Stanley Cup playoffs covered pretty well, I like to say. The beauty of the athletic is it takes hockey very seriously. And it's like a very it's main part of it. We're, we're, uh, it, it, it's, it's not just what we've got in the States, you know, Fluto and Sarasiv and all these other people. Uh, uh, Canada, the athletic is huge in Canada. And uh, in, in fact, I frequently do radio hits with Toronto and Montreal uh, because they read the athletic and uh, I just did, I just did the morning show in Toronto an hour ago. And, uh, uh, uh I, I do Montreal, uh, you know, Knuckles Nyland is, is from Boston and he does, Chris does a radio show up in Montreal and he has me on a lot and they frequently get calls about stuff we've run. So the athletic is quite big in that, in Canada. It's good to see. It's good to see hockey. Getting bigger, coverage for it getting bigger. Uh, but again, Buck, I want to say thank you for coming on. On Brazilian right. Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You, Birds Beat listeners, enjoy the games. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah.